Welcome, you're listening to the rest of the sermon, a podcast where we dive deeper in content and conversation of last Sunday's sermon at Westside in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. For more information, you can visit our website at westsidepb.org. Welcome back to the rest of the sermon. It's good to see you guys. Hello. We're going to go around the table and introduce ourselves. We have some very special guests with us this morning. To my left is... Hello. My name is Kayla Saxton. I um, am married to the famous podcast host and worship leader of Westside, Tyler Saxton. (laughs) That's great. That's great. That is great. Oh, man. I'm Jason, lead pastor, teaching pastor at Westside, and... I am Courtney, your wife. My wife, <laughs> mother of my three children. Yeah, I'm already yeah. saying that this will be the most popular podcast to date. It absolutely with our special will be. Guest today. We we talked uh, about this extensively before we actually started the podcast. We wanted to have some guests from time to time. Yeah, and uh, we wanted you guys to be our guests sometime early on in the podcast um, to sort of not just establish that we're married and all of that stuff, but you guys have a, you guys have a very prominent um, position at the church as well. And you guys offer a lot and serve a lot and you teach a lot. And so we wanted to have you guys on, especially when it comes to the content for this week's sermon, yeah. um, when it comes to this series that we are going through. So this is Christmas. And this week's sermon, we were in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, and we talked about the genealogy of Jesus or the genesis of Jesus's story. And I'm just going to kind of jump right into it with your first illustration that you shared uh, this past Sunday, Jay. And you opened with an illustration about Queen Elizabeth's bloodline yeah. and how it was portrayed in the crown. Yeah. Just to recap for some people, and this is true, by the way. This 100% was true. Real history. Yes. Um, Queen Elizabeth and her sister Margaret, they had two cousins, Catherine and Nerissa. Um, they were disabled and hidden away in a mental institution to sort of protect the integrity of the royal bloodline. Yep. Historically, this is in quotes, um, in monarchies, disabilities and anything like that, they were actually frowned upon um, and viewed as impurities in the bloodline, yep. which we don't view today today, but that's how it was viewed then. Um, But we said that this was a picture of how our world views royalty today. We cover up and hide anything we are unsure about to present the perfect picture. So the first thing I want us to discuss uh, is how this happens in the confines of family. We're going to be talking a lot about family today because the the history of, of what we see in Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17 is Jesus's family. Yep. It's his genesis and his story and his family. And so we're going to revolve a lot about family and how God actually restores our story through his family and invites us into his family. So based on that introduction, um, how does this happen in the confines of family? This illustration, although it's not about royalty, it happens within a family. And we have our wives with us today. So, so ladies, I want you guys to offer your wisdom and perspective in these areas too. First question, what are some ways that you guys address problems and conflict within your families in a healthy way? We see in the crown, we see in the history of, the, of royalty, they sort of hide and, and shove those away. I thought the first question was going to be, is Queen Elizabeth really supposed to be the queen? Yes. <laughs> because when I studied that, there's a lot of drama and controversy. So what do you that. think? Yeah, talk about yeah. that. Oh, it's, so the whole reason, so Queen Elizabeth's dad, King George, only became king. He was second born. His yeah. older brother abdicated the throne. Which is that's like, a big word. What's abdicated mean? So this is shocking. It means that you voluntarily give up your royal position. Wow. Sermon illustration. Sermon uh-huh. illustration. Um, because he wanted to marry somebody that they didn't want him to marry, and so when he abdicated the throne, that immediately shot George up to be king. Well, George's wife is now 
in the family bloodline, which then her cousins, her brother's children, are the ones that got hidden away with the mental disabilities and sort of everything like that. So there's wow. a ton. If you Google wow. that, you will get into some string theory <laughs> and a ton of drama. I was going to say that. Yeah. Because the bloodline yeah. you know, on all of that Courtney, stuff. Courtney, is there red string in your, na- in oh. your living room? Every- yep. he called is it me really that there? He called me that morning <laughs> that he was in the office, and he's like, I've gone down a rabbit hole. Yes. <laughs> Too yes. far. Yes. Was so there phys- I want to know if there was physically red yarn. Oh. <laughs> right. Darn it. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, it's so, a great so, show. Yes. So the royal bloodline hides away these impurities yep. to sort of like protect the integrity of the bloodline. What are ways that we do that in our families? What are ways that we address problems and conflict with our families? First of all, let's start in a healthy way. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think a, a very simple illustration of that is when it comes to taking family pictures, right? Okay. I, oh, no. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, I think this is a physical illustration of something true. What we post and what we see is that one photo that looks great, that's the Christmas card, and yeah. what we don't see are the 197 other photos of the kids melting down. <laughs> and that's what we present, you know, to the world about our family. And so when it comes to, like, social media, Instagram, Facebook, none of that's real. None of that's the the real family and really, you know, who we are in that sense. For, for our family, my dad didn't meet his biological father until he was 37 years old. Wow, wow. man. Um, so the reason why our last name's even Jordan is from A.B. Jordan, uh, my dad's adopted father, who was an alcoholic and all of this stuff as well. So we were living in Texas. My dad was 37, and he meets J.W. Solomon, So, which uh, we could have been Solomon, which is crazy to think about. Um, And then my dad finds out that he has six half-brothers and sisters living in Colorado. So my dad's biological father went around setting up small franchises, you know, if you will. But that's something that, I mean, when you think about it, that's something we don't really talk about that much. That's something that we hide away in that sense. But my dad, with his ministry, and to go back to what you said, Tyler, uses it in a positive way. Yeah, man. You know, I remember firmly growing up saying my dad didn't know his biological father until he was 37, but he knew that he had a heavenly father um, who loved him unconditionally yeah. in that sense. And so I guess in a positive way, that's that's something that um, our family has has discussed in that sense. But, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Kayla, you are the mom to our two children. I sure am. Uh, you stay at That's home me. with you stay at home with them all day. Yeah. Uh, you take care of them. You're yep. their chauffeur. Their chauffeur. <laughs> you're their chauffeur, their their nurse, their their chef. chef. Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. You're you're the everything. Um, yep. it's not like uh, well, paint a picture for us of, of the stay at home mom for you. And then uh, when conflict arises, what are some good ways that you like connect and correct our kids in healthy ways? That's a really good question. <laughs> we have a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, so I us. mean, yeah, yep. number one, pray for us. But number two, I feel like it's very basic, and it has to be very basic, um, just talking and correction and all of that just because comprehension isn't fully there yet, right. especially on the one-and-a-half-year-old. But the three-year-old, she's starting to get without excuse. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, really, it's just I think it's easy to react in moments, but – taking the time and slowing down and getting down on their level and talking to them about it helps the best and has the best results. Um, But that's a time commitment. I mean, it's much easier to try and brush it off and let the moment pass. But I think those are big teaching moments that uh, we have and can use for good. No, that's really good. 
That's really, really good. Do we have any more thoughts on what are some ways that we address problems or conflict within our families in a healthy way? Babe, what's it look like when it comes to the different kids and different ages and yeah. firstborn male, Roman, and then Andy Grace, middle child, and then Piper, who loves being the baby? Yeah. How, how, how have you learned to, I guess, in their roles, right. you know? Well, and their conflict still at those ages just looks different. I mean, it's not like conflict between you and I, which is Wait, a little more... Wait, we have conflict? <laughs> intense with them. It's more trying to teach them to love each other how they love themselves and um, yeah. or even us modeling to them how to apologize to one another. Mm. And so I think it's just, like Kayla said, just the basics. I mean, yeah. you're trying to teach them in their simple... Yeah ways that they know yeah. how right now. So. I feel like we've been in a shift, like in the beginning stages of a child's life, it really is all about them. Yeah. And we're in a stage of life now where we're transitioning our kids going, whoa, whoa, whoa. It is not all about you. Like it's not all about what you want to do. And I guess you do a lot better job than I do of going, here's how they're probably viewing this. You need to take their perspective in. But it, I mean, it is, it's got to be a shift for them to go, wait a second, like the first three to four years of my life, you guys were at my beck and call yeah. and it was yeah. all about me. And now you're saying it's not all about me. I feel like that's a season that we're in, yeah. you know, for yeah. sure. Yeah, well, uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows in the families under our roofs. Uh, a lot of times we we move straight to correct before we do any kind of connection. Yeah. Um, and sort of like the queen uh, and and like the crown, we sort of hide and, and just rush straight to uh, correction or trying to barrel through and, and bypass any impurities that we might see in our families. So let's move to that. What, what are some... Where is that? And what ways do we try to hide, stifle, and run from the problems or conflicts or the impurities in our families and why? I'll start. I'll start. Okay. Um, I, uh, for me, uh, we, t we talked a few weeks ago um, about anxiety and how it shows in your body, the racing mind, the spinning heart, or I'm sorry, the spinning mind, the racing heart, or the tightening gut. For me, it's the spinning mind, and I get in my head, and oftentimes, Kayla, you know this, and in the midst of conflict, I will, I will shut down or choose to not talk or just sort of throw in the towel and not want to work on it at all. Um, and other times, I move the complete opposite uh, end of the pendulum, and I just end up trying to dive headlong into finding a solution right away which is the same as correction and just as damaging, but in a different way. And it's not just between us, but it's also with our kids. There are times where where we do need to pause and take that moment, or I do need to pause and take that moment and, and stoop down and connect with Jesse or connect with Ethan before they're corrected. But in the midst of whether it's a, a bodily showing form of anxiety or not, um, I move straight to, to correction. And a lot of times it doesn't go as well as it could. Yeah. Uh, that's when we have the the full twelve hours of meltdowns and no naps and and uh, and then the same with the kids too. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, that's a that's a very generalized answer to give kind of a concrete moment. Um, we've we just moved our piano from our bedroom into our living room. Um, Kayla brought yeah. up the idea. Hey, this is a family piano. It's been in our family now. This is like the third generation. Yeah. That it's been. Um, so it was in your mom's house. My when, grandma's house. Yeah. 
and I grew up playing well, my mom grew up playing it and then yeah. I grew up playing it at my grandma's yeah. and cool. we now have it. Yeah. So. And so you said you want to, you want to bring our kids into that, want yeah. them to grow up playing it. And so Jessie's three now and she can climb up on stuff and kind of comprehend what we do on Sunday mornings and all of that. And she She's, wants to, she has band practice in our living room <laughs> yes. every, every day. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but she, she just wants the piano to be hers, right? Firstborn. So yeah. um, anytime Ethan crawls up on the, on the bench or I sit next to her, she's just all arms width on all the keys. <laughs> Don't touch. This is mine. Um, and that's been the battle the last few days. Yeah. And it's been a very, I've had a very short fuse with it, either first thing in the morning or in the evening. And I'm finding myself um, raising my voice faster and trying to get to a point to where it's it's immediate correction um, and almost chastisement without any connection or any, any kind of um, ground leveling moment with her. And uh, this sermon this week really really laid something on my heart in the areas of, of bringing up our kids in a way. And Mark Driscoll said this before in the past. He said, you want to connect before you correct um, with your yeah. kids. And and that came to my mind in this sermon with genealogy and God changing the story in our families. And it was really impactful for me, and I was aware of that in little moments like that this week. Yeah, man, so, that's good. I think yeah. the context of the passage, to get back into that, is in Matthew 1, 1 through 17, we see 46 names, um, three sets of 14 generations, and Matthew follows Jesus's Jewish ethnicity and bloodline. And, you know, you can get lost in that and think, what's this about? What are these names? But when you spend some time, what you see are families, right. what yeah. you see are legacies, what you see um, are the good, the bad, and the ugly with that. And so the thrust of the conversation being about families and everything like that, what we said was, why would God want to come here well, he would want to come here to restore his creation. Right. Yeah. That God did not come apart from the brokenness. God came within the brokenness. Now, he's still separate and distinct than that, but he came in this line and legacy of broken families. And just what you said, Tyler, he connected. You know, he yeah. was a part of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, still separate and distinct, but came amidst that. And so, um, the context of the passage, when, once you spend some time in it, is is overwhelming. It's 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 pretty incredible to look at with that. So. Yeah, that's really good. One of the things that you you come into my office a lot um, throughout the week and just sort of barge in and do your thing. Uh, this week you came in a couple times. Uh, the first time you mentioned. Uh, well, actually, can we talk about our offices for a second? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 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 we're not in them. Yes. Can we? Can we? I want to. Can you guys tell the story of what happened this week? Yeah, we were at the oh. house, or we're at Krista's house, and got a. My phone rang. It was not with me, so I heard it ring, and then I heard Courtney's phone ring, which is a telltale sign yeah. somebody's trying to get a hold yeah. of us. And I heard Courtney. I dared. She just has a tone, like when something's happened, and she just said, "Oh my gosh, your offices are on fire." And it was our secretary called. And so I was just like, what? I mean, I didn't even like, I was so confused. The you, whole drive over there. You just I, kept saying, I was like, how what do they? you mean? I said, what do you mean? What, like, how are our offices They're on, not fire? on fire? They can't be on fire. Yeah. Long story short, um, to all the podcast listeners listening, our offices caught fire due to an electrical complication. Nobody was there. Nobody got hurt and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's going to look different, me barging into your offices. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so this was pre-fire uh, coming into the office, uh, and you came in a few times. The first time you mentioned genealogy means Genesis, and you yeah. mentioned that in the sermon, and how massively, um, how the implications of that for the Jewish audience reading this um, would have been massive, understanding mm -hmm. the term Genesis. And we said in the sermon that God is writing a new story for us through mm -hmm. Jesus. He's writing a new story. 
I want to talk about the idea of our story, whether it's in our families or individuals. What, what, why is it important for us to know our story? Mm. Why isn't it like, like we have it record, God saw it fit to record in Scripture for us the story of Jesus' bloodline, mm-hmm. the story of his family and all the families before him. Why is it important? What can we draw from that of why it would be important for us to know our story, our story and our families under our roof, our extended families, whatever? Why is that important for us? Yeah, that's good. I think you can always learn from your past and from history. I think there's something very wise to look at history so you can draw, whether it's good or bad, um, hey, I want to do this, or hey, I shouldn't go that route. There's a lot there that, I mean, often in the Bible it talks about remembering, remember what God has done, and I think that translates over to families too. Um, Remember what's happened, remember what's been done, and walk either in that or run from that. Right. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think it's important to know too, because that's Mm self-awareness. And so it's not just looking at it um, as something that I'm separate from, but when you become self-aware, like one of the resources and tools that I've learned about this past year through Steve Cuss, the managing leadership anxiety is um, a thing called family systems theory. Yeah. which basically looks at the family as a social system. So it takes a scientific and psychology approach, and the family is a social system, meaning that there are roles and there are functions in the family. And one of the things that you do is you identify what your role is as being impacted of your family systems theory. And one of the things is you do a thing, it's a tool called a geneogram, Gen- yeah. genesis beginning, talking about that. And it's like a family tree, but what it does is it, it just shows the, the roles in the family. And so, for example, if you were doing your geneogram, you would go, okay, um, my, my mom and dad were divorced when I was seven. And then so my mom and dad were divorced. And then you go back and look at your grandparents and, you know, maybe, okay, my grandma and grandpa were actually divorced too. And my mom was, you know, six. And then you go back again and you go, oh man, my great grandparents. And, and what it does is once you lay it out on paper, you see one of the rules is you're not supposed to connect the dots. Like yeah. you're just supposed to let it be. No red yarn. But when you let it be, you go, oh, well, that probably directly affects my marriage and the way that I view marriage yeah. and my role in that as well. And so whether we like it or not, for good or for bad, we are all products and have been affected by the family in which we grow up. And the family in which we grew up in was affected by the family in which they grew up in. And we see that directly in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. Matthew breaks it down in sort of three major generations, from Abraham to David, David to the exile, exile to Jesus. And when you see Israel's story in that, there are repeated things that happen through corrupt kings I mean, let's just get real, even through sexual immorality, through all types of stuff. Yeah. And and we see the big thing with family systems theory is to identify a pattern uh, because we are affected by family patterns um, in that. And so it's super impactful for self-awareness. And yeah. I think that's yeah. something, babe, you and I have learned yeah. about in our roles in marriage and in our family, how we were affected by the families we grew up in in good and and in negative as well, for sure. That yeah. self-awareness, you saying that, it, it is. It's just you have to catch yourself in moments of conflict between you and I, and it's mm-hmm. just bringing you back to, okay, you know, viewing the whole story in the bigger picture does affect how you and I move forward and yeah. 
way we're doing things. So. Yeah, and primarily, I think, just for an example, to get real with the podcast listeners, yes. <laughs> um, our con- like the way that we handle conflict, you and I. You know, I'm the youngest of four boys in my family. We were loud talkers. My dad's a storyteller. <laughs> um, projectors. Yes. Yeah, projectors. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, our house was so loud. And the person that got attention at the dinner table was the person that told the story the best and was the most animated. And so when we're having a conflict or an argument, I become, in your eyes, what is yelling? That was a great example. Like, well, what is yelling? <laughs> like, well, our family's... You talk louder than me. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, right, which is as quiet as a church mouse, yeah. you know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, like, what are, like, have, how have you become aware of that as well? I mean, I know that's a very simple example of that, but yeah. you're self-aware. I mean, you're firstborn. Right. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in regards to you and I, I think it's just my family was completely different than yours. We yeah. didn't have those conversations. We didn't talk at all. No, we just <laughs> acted like everything was okay. And yeah. I mean, it, most of the time it was okay. Most sure. of the time there weren't, weren't problems, but yeah. it wasn't something that I was going to bring up or address if there was. So. Yeah. One of the things that I appreciate for good marrying into your family, and you guys talk about this, is. You guys have, like, um, family positions. I mean, like, you know, your grandpa was, you know, a patriarch of the family, and my mom is a matriarch. And so, like, the defined roles in your family um, was really cool marrying into that and experiencing that at Christmas and at Thanksgiving and those type of things like that. Whereas we moved, like, another example, we moved a ton when I was growing up all the time. Yeah. Um, And we're far away from our matriarchs and patriarchs. Whereas when we got married, you moved, I moved you out of the bedroom you literally almost grew up in and your whole family lived in one neighborhood. You know, I mean, all of those things are distinct, you know, in in families and stuff like that, for sure. What does that look like for you guys when it comes to those things? No, it's very interesting to, uh, well, uh, I want to bounce back a question real quick and then we'll answer that. Have you guys done the Genneagram? It sounds, uh, I don't know if you're either just aware of that from reading Steve Cuss's book or actually sat down and done the Genneagram. Yeah, I've done the Genneagram on my side and it gets hard after with my dad, meeting yeah. his biological dad, um, it's a little bit more clear on my mom's side, yeah. but it becomes very broken again due to divorce, yeah. you know, w- when it comes to those things. So my mom on her side is the first in three generations um, to, to not be divorced. Wow. And wow. so when when you look at some things like that, it's, it's really, really yeah, interesting, sure. but it gets yeah. really hard. After great-grandparents on a geneogram, it's super difficult, just yeah. like you would a family tree, for just sure. like you would. Well, I know Steve Cuss has a link to some resources for the geneogram. Yeah, we can put them in the show the notes. Put them in the show notes. Yep. Look at the guys. That do, I'll get Jamie. I'll call Jamie to do that. Yeah, right. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, for us, well, why don't you go first? Do you want me to go first or you want to go first? Go ahead. Okay, I'll go first. So um, after reading the book, and I've never sat down and done the geneogram, but it definitely made me a little bit more aware of my family. Um, I was the youngest of uh, – uh, well, my parents got divorced when I was very young – I think I was either, I was either two years old or two months old. It was mm-hmm. young enough to not pretty be much able the to same yeah. at that age. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, either way, um, and uh, we were born in Memphis and uh, Tennessee, and then we moved to North Texas, and then and then they split, and then. Um, I was the youngest. I have an older brother. And then both my parents got remarried, uh, both into families. And my mom married, um, who was my stepdad, Andy, uh, who, who we 
who uh, we lost a few years back, um, six years ago to muscular dystrophy, but he had, he had mm. some kids, um, my stepbrother drew and Aaron, and they were both younger. So until they came along, I was the youngest. Um, and I sort of had to fight to kind of get what I want <laughs> and, yeah. and, uh, make sure that, you know, ever, you know, my way to play uh, into people's heartstrings, which is just kind of give them what they, it just seemed to work for me to play by all the rules and give them what they want. And then yeah. I could get what I want. Um, and I find that that translates, uh, and it doesn't work with me. Yeah, and it, and it, it doesn't work with no. you. We just had a con- we went to bed mad last uh. night having a conversation about that. But um, but yeah, that that's generally where my where my awareness from that comes is, is growing up in a family, and then also my mom was single for a while before she met Andy, and um, she did a lot, and uh, and and she she did a lot for me and my brother, and. Um, just seeing that, I think, also sort of shaped my personality in a way to to how I am now. Um, just to trying to be a little bit more assertive in the way that I pursue things in a passive way, if that makes any sense. Like I, I assertively pursue passivity. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but what about you? How's, how's that look like for you, Kayla, my wife? Yes, that's a great life? question, Tyler. Um, I grew up. My parents got divorced. I think it was probably around when I was six months old, um, and Dad wasn't in the picture. So my mom got remarried quite a few years later, and then they ended up adopting two younger brothers. So I have an older sister, then it's me, and two younger adopted brothers. And it was a very loud, um, yeah. projected household. Yes, projected. We projected a lot. Yeah. You said um, loud first. Though. I did say loud, and I was <laughs> like, nope, wrong word. Yeah. Projected, we right. projected. And so if there was conflict, it was a lot of, in many cases, yelling. It was beyond yeah. projecting. Um But for me personally, I think I have become quite an internal processor. Mm. So I choose to shut, probably shut down in those situations. And I want to just think about things and then come back to it. So Mm. I thrive if I can. The come back to it, though. Yeah. If the come back to it, I'm working on. But I mean, because a lot of times I realize it's not that big of a deal after Mm -hmm. I've processed it for a while. So my preference would be to, hey, I hear you. I hear the situation. Let's. Let me think about this, and then let's come back to it. But yeah. in all fairness, we don't always come back to it, and that's uh, it. Would be healthy if we did. But you're self-aware. Yes. Yeah. Like that's that's huge. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's good to have that awareness. Um, it's been really helpful. Uh, not just the book and, and the geneagram and and understanding family, but this sermon series, uh, specifically this week. And point four, you said you. So the big idea of the sermon this week was as we've been asking over and over again, why would God want to come here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then last week was God came to, oh, excuse me. Are you on the wrong week? I thought I was. <laughs> sorry. No, this week is to restore his creation. Yep. Yeah. Um, sorry. Last week is to reveal, reveal his glory. This week is to restore his creation. And so the fourth point we had this week was restoration for broken people from broken people, for broken people and from broken people. Yeah. And we see with awareness, we can be aware of the brokenness within our families or the successes and the things that encourage us within our families and around us. Um, but I have a question for everyone around the table. What would you guys, or some of us around the table, we don't all have to answer that. <laughs> um, what would you guys say to somebody who sees a pattern of brokenness? Like, let's say they they go and they sit down and they do the geneogram and they see that my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and they go all the way back to like the Statue of Liberty and, <laughs> and they find that their first parents that immigrated over here were, they were all divorced and they see this pattern of brokenness. And what would you say to somebody who sees a pattern of brokenness in their family and they feel powerless to change it? Mm. They feel powerless. Maybe it's through a a cycle of addiction that's generationally come down or anything like that, whatever it may be. What would you say to someone who sees a pattern of brokenness in their family and they feel powerless to change it? 
I think the first step is is that they see it. Yeah. Awareness. You know, and yeah. and being aware of that. And that can only come um from community. It can yeah. it can only come I mean, you know, this coming week we're talking about why would he come here to rescue uh, his people and talking about sin. I mean, that's one of the things his name shall be called Jesus, the angel says, and he'll save their people from their sins. Amen. And so that's a huge deal. But sin is so deceptive that you're self-deceived. Yeah. That you're self-deceived of your own sin. And so that's why the Bible repeatedly talks about living in community and doing those things. And so marriage um, is God's primary way uh, to reveal that to you if you know if you're married I mean yeah. because yeah. to love your neighbor as yourself well your spouse is your first neighbor and so uh, one of our favorite pastors always used to say it's less like a soul mate and more mm -hmm. like a soul scrape and, <laughs> yes. and because because that's how you're the most revealed yeah. to that person so it's very easy for me to be self-aware of Courtney and for Courtney to be very aware of me yeah but Man, when it comes to being self-aware, I mean, it's that's difficult. So I think seeing it, you've 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 got to be in community. Secondly, if you feel helpless, I, I just think reading Matthew one. You yeah. know, one of the things we said there's forty six names in it, but that's actually forty six reasons why God can use you, yeah, or God can rewrite your story, right. or God can do any of those things, yeah. yeah. And so don't feel helpless. Um, the third thing is. It will be the hardest work in your life. It will be your life's work yeah. to yeah. break family patterns. Um, it just will because it's literally in our DNA when yeah. it comes to that. And so, yeah, I think, do you see it? You've got to be in community. Secondly, there's no way to feel hopeless. You you can break these patterns, and yeah. it's going to come from community, but it's also going to be uh, your life's work, um, and, and you've got to address it. You, you have to address it. If you do not process the family patterns, the family patterns will process you and process all of your relationships and all of those things. So, yeah. yeah. It is crazy how much it does affect. And it does, I mean, yeah. our relationship, the things that have come up, we've had to look back and say, okay, where is this coming from? And it really has been helpful. Yeah. To do it in that way. I mean, even just recently in our life, we've got dear friends who speak into our life and who are older, who've been married a little bit longer. But, I mean, spending some ext extended time with them, like, and becoming aware of things that we thought, quote, we had a grip on, mm -hmm. or, yeah, we were aware of that, but the pattern is repeating itself. And mm -hmm. so it's huge. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um some of the names that were in the genealogy of Jesus um, are people who had a pattern of brokenness in their family. There's almost yeah. a pattern of brokenness that goes through the whole genealogy of yeah. Jesus. Um, it would also it would be the antithesis of the gospel story if there wasn't um, brokenness. And a lot of them felt powerless to change it. Um, Abraham, right, like worshiping other gods when God called him out, yeah. uh, constantly running around and telling lies about his wife. Yeah, and in order to to keep something from happening uh, that was more selfish for him yeah. to keep his own life, um, but then it ended up poorly for her. So not just brokenness in him and in his family. Jacob, da David, the adulterer and the murderer, yeah. uh, man after God's own heart. We see, we see all of that. And I think broken. I think brokenness. If somebody is broken, something that I would say to them, and they see a pattern of brokenness, um, 
I was just drawn to Psalm 88 in my mind. Um, psalm 88 is a very dark psalm. It's a very gre- it's it's a grieving psalm. Um, and the very first verse is, "O Lord God of my salvation," addressing God. He says, "I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, and incline your ear to my cry." And the rest of the psalm is sort of a prayer. Um, it's it's a prayer of being honest with God, and it's a prayer of where He really is. Um, and I, th- I think my offering to somebody who is who sees a pattern of brokenness is, yes, community. Yes, get involved. Yes, be aware. Yes, have people around you. Um, but also fall on your knees before the Lord and cry out before him. Yeah. Pray to God. Open up your mouth and, and be specific about what it is that is in your story that is broken and ask for help because... One of the encouraging things about what I've what I've read about some scholars saying Psalm eighty eight you can't read it alone it's paired with Psalm eighty nine Psalm eighty nine we actually named our son after the uh, Ethan masculine of Ethan and the very first verse of Psalm eighty nine is I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever yeah. with my mouth I will make known your faithfulness in all generations and what I see there is just what we've said in the past in the midst of our brokenness like we said in the Axiom series God is present and at work in our brokenness yeah. God is present and at work there and if you feel powerless to change it rather than rather than saying I can't change anything about this or do anything about this right now maybe ask yourself with that awareness what is God doing whether it's through my family history whether it's in this situation right now if I'm powerless to change this in and of myself how can I get other people in and around me and how can I offer this up and pray to God about this what would you say Kayla in in terms of somebody who has a pattern of brokenness either in their family or in themselves and they feel powerless to change it my first thing I would say is don't give up hope. Like that is the gospel story yep. that Jesus comes to bring dead things to life. And when the genealogy was being read this week, I had a moment that I connected um, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. I think it's Genesis chapter five um, when a genealogy is being said. And basically it's this guy lived this many hundreds of years and then he died. And there's yep. a cadence and a rhythm. This guy lived and died. This guy lived and died. And then we hit Matthew one. And when you're reading it, I was like, there's not one mention of death. It's he fathered this guy who fathered this guy who fathered this guy. And it, the end of it is Jesus is born. And I was like, that's the mo- like, that's what it's about. That's yeah. the moment. C- the curse and the fall brought death, but Jesus came to bring life. Yeah. And I was like, that's like, there was just an anticipation building as he fathered this guy who fathered this guy. Yes, there's horrible stories. Yes, there's brokenness throughout, but the end goal is Jesus brings hope and he brings life. Like the end of Jesus' story isn't he died, it's that he rose again. And that's what I just kept thinking of is whatever you feel like is so broken, that's so lost, that's so gone, that's what Jesus came to restore and redeem. Um, And so that just, that's stuck with me since Sunday. And I mean, I'm sure someone's connected that dot, but... For me, that was a moment of like, yeah, that's what this is all about. Yeah. Jesus was born. That's good. That's really good. You used a quote in your sermon by Ben Patterson um, where he said, waiting is not, I love this quote, waiting is not just the thing we have to do until we get what we hope for. Um, 
and just a little bit of context. We we see generations and generations and generations, and kind of what you led into this was was the blank piece of paper between the Old Testament and the New Testament is mm-hmm. like it it symbolizes the four hundred years of silence of no prophet, no word from the Lord, complete silence. And there's a period of waiting for the Messiah, for God to do something. And so this quote stems from that. Ben Patterson said, Waiting is not just the thing we have to do until we get what we hope for. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what we hope for. What we become while we wait is just as important as what we're waiting for. What is something that you have had to wait for in your life? Could pa- be packages. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it could Amazon. Be Amazon. <laughs> Target. <laughs> I mean, it was so overwhelming, like talking about the middle blank page. Yeah. You know, but it starts with Abraham in the genealogy, and so God picks up right where He left off, all the way back in Genesis chapter twelve of the promise to be faithful to send the Messiah. And so when you see 14 generations, 2,000-plus years waiting on this promise, you see ways that you can wait and ways that you don't. And, you know, speaking of, Jesus coming, you know, yes, there's hope, but it doesn't necessarily resolve all of the family conflict. And what I mean is Abraham didn't wait well. And so he fathered another child um, out of wedlock, which is, you know, actually where we get Islam from. And so there are still consequences in the family legacy and in the family tree that I think a lot of times people either come to this podcast or come to church and say, hey, let me get this book. How can I resolve my family conflict and solve that legacy? And the reality is, is that that brokenness is still going to exist until Jesus comes at a second advent. Um, But there's hope amidst that. And so the waiting aspect, we see good ways to wait and good ways not to wait. Um, and I think for me, I always miss that the process is the point. I mean, I am a results guy. Like, it's the point. Yeah, Results are the point. Like, getting something accomplished is the point. I mean, I get so frustrated when I go to do something or a service that's supposed to be provided to you, and the whole purpose why it exists is to provide this service, (laughs) and it doesn't work. I'm Uh. like, this is what, you know... And so the Lord's constantly revealing that to me, that who you are becoming is the point in that. And I don't know of any other tool, but maybe besides suffering, but suffering still involves waiting, that God does to reveal to us actually who we are becoming in that sense. And so I think family conflict and resolving that is a thing that I'm waiting for, for sure, when it comes to extended family when it comes to those things. But the reality is is that we're reminding each other right now that we're still becoming someone amidst this waiting, for sure. Yeah. So I think waiting for me almost has cycles where I have to go through periods of anger, frustration, and then I almost get to a point of just, there's, I mean, okay, God, here I am. I'm yeah. waiting. I don't have anything else but to lean on you in this time. Mm. Um, for me, I think I try to, I mean, I'm a overthinker and worrier, and so I try to think of the end result. Like, okay, if what I'm wanting or what I'm waiting for doesn't come, how am I feeling? Am I still satisfied with Jesus, or is it that? And so that's a good litmus test for me personally to have to um, look at myself in that time of waiting because it does. It reveals what's in my heart. 
but it's also been some of the biggest times of growth through that period too of even if I didn't get to the finish line or, you know, what I was anticipating at the end, how much have I grown closer to Jesus and how much more beautiful is he in this time? Because I had to lean on him. Yeah. You are good at thinking about the end result. I'm an impulse decision in (laughs) in the moment person. So we compliment each other well. (laughs) <laughs> That's really That's good. good. Courtney, when you were talking um, about waiting for the end result and being satisfied with Jesus or not, it made me think of the, it's why, it's why we, okay, first of all, the re, the way that we pick songs at Westside is not just what we're hearing on the radio and that we like and that we think is really good. Um, the way that the process that we pick songs on Westside and we write songs at Westside is, is to sing the content that glorifies God that glorifies Jesus Christ and is theologically right, but also gives us reason to praise and to glorify him. So we're not just going to randomly sing one line over and over again about, you know, some random thing that doesn't really make any sense. And it made me think of this song, maybe think of songs like this, why we sing this. Uh, it is well with my soul, Horatio Spafford. We sing when peace like a river attendeth my way. Um, but we we kind of roll over lines like when sorrows like sea billows roll, but those are right next to one another. Um, And we want to get to the verse of Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight and the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Um, But we, there's also the verse, my sin, oh, the bliss, the glorious thought, my sin, not the part, but the whole it's nailed to the cross. There's sin that is in the picture and the process of, of dealing with those things is, is the point as we've been saying Um, that that hymn just came to mind. And, Uh, sorry for the little rant about why we sing what we sing, but I think it's important that we uh, that we address those things. Um, so a lot of us have been through the ringer uh, this Were year. Were you going to talk about your waiting? My waiting? Yeah. I didn't talk about it. You want to talk about it? Well, why don't you go first this okay. time? All right. What are you waiting for? That's a great question. <laughs> uh, I am definitely an impatient waiter, and I think since moving to Poplar Bluff, that is something that God has worked on my heart of being more patient. I, like Jason, like to see a grand something that I'm running towards. And Mm. I like the next big thing, whatever that does or doesn't mean for me that day. Um, But since moving out here, God's done a lot of teaching of not just contentment, but faithfully waiting and faithfully doing, putting in work while you're waiting, that you don't just sit around and hope something big runs into you. Um, and my current season that's being faithful with a three and a one and a half year old and making that fun and, um, enjoying it along the way. An analogy popped into my mind. And if I would put this over to my life, it would go a lot better, but I am a odd bird and I like dense distance running. Um, and I was thinking something I've waited for is, um, I love running marathons and that's 26.2 miles of waiting for a finish line. Um, and if I was running those 26.2 miles, I mean, that's three plus hours of running, no matter how fast or slow you are, unless you're an Olympian, then it's two hours. Um, but I mean, if you are sitting there, running the sitting there running if you're running those 26.2 miles and thinking where's the finish line where's the finish line where's right. the finish line i mean you're gonna you're gonna die yeah. <laughs> you're gonna peter out you're gonna walk or you're just gonna quit and give up yeah. but instead i mean i do truly love it when i was running the chicago marathon there was a moment where i just closed my eyes thank goodness there were no potholes <laughs> i closed my eyes and just took a deep breath in and just went I just love this. Yes, there were pain, there was a pain in my toe and my toenail 
eventually fell off. Yeah, that was yeah, gross. That was Which is like gross. a trademark for runners. Yes, yeah. yeah. I was like, I mean, there's pain in your it's whole body. It's in a frame body. in our bathroom. Yeah. No, it's no, not. No. That's disgusting. <laughs> no, it's not. Not true. Fact checkers on that one. Um, but yes, there's pain in your whole body, but you keep going, looking towards, yet you know what's coming. Yeah. And there's a joy set before you when while you're running. Again, this is not for everyone I know. But translating that over to life, I mean, if you're constantly waiting for that finish line, you're going to give up. Sure. But enjoying it, taking the breath and enjoying where you're at and whatever pain you might have, knowing that there's a purpose and there is a finish line coming, I think that's faithfully waiting. Yeah. Do I do that? No. But waiting's not passive, it's active. Well, don't cut yourself short. You do that. You do it. It's not 100% of the time. Yes. I mean, every, nobody nobody gets it right 100% of the time. Um, but you do that. Don't cut yourself short. Um, from my perspective, I've, I've just found a lot this year. Uh, so at the beginning of the year, um, I, I felt like a – this might sound silly, but I felt like a, a word that the Lord had given me for this year was just rest. At the beginning of the year, I read a book about rest and, and gleaned a lot from it. We tried to practice a Sabbath for a while. We did it for about six months, and then it sort of tapered off. And – and all of that, um, and I'm still, I'm still. That word comes back to me because, like you, Jason, I like results. I like to see things done. I'm, I'm a doer, um, and I'm noticing that, like for example, when I'll, when I'll come home and I'll see something that I'll, I'll know needs to be done, I will immediately gravitate towards that, and I will be, I mean, I'll just have these blinders on, and I will be fixed and focused on getting X, Y, and Z done and barely address either my family, my wife, my kids. Um, and that happened for, I mean, that, that's happened for a while, and I'm seeing the effects of it. I'm seeing the effects of it in my kids. I'm seeing the effects of it with, with Kayla. It's not, it's not all horrible, but it's not all wonderful. That I'm just noticing that in the process of trying to, to rush towards results and get them done, I am foregoing the process, and I'm, I'm I'm leaving it by the wayside, and and there are some things that I could be missing out either with my kids or with my wife, and that's been, uh, yeah, it's been impactful to, to see that, to notice that, um, so that's mine, my answer, my take on that, um, so a lot of us have been through the ringer this year. Um, many of us are are waiting for 2020 to be over, um, from pandemics and. I'm not even going to say the list. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's (laughs) had something going on. What are some good or bad things that God has used this year um, to make you become more like Jesus, to aid you in the process, not just the outcome? Um, And what would you say to someone who feels that they are constantly waiting for something good and never see it come? So what's something good or bad that's happened to you this year, to you or your family, um, that God has used to sort of aid in the becoming. Uh, it's like the Ben Patterson quote said, that uh, waiting is part of the process of becoming what we hope for. We, what we become while we wait is just as important. How has God helped us in that this year? I don't think this has necessarily happened to me, but with the climate of everything from coronavirus to politics and everything like that, the opinions that are just being thrown out everywhere are intense. And um, I found myself on both sides of the unnecessary fence, I think, at times. Yeah. But then there's times where you just kind of have to step back and think this isn't like one way is not right, the other way is not right. And so I think I've compassion has been something that I've had to learn and 
swallow that hard pill because it's quick for me to judge someone who doesn't think like me or doesn't agree with how, you know, I would do things, but they're in the same boat. And so just seeing that from their perspective has been something that I've had to learn this year. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. I would have, I would have to say I think this year and just been in a process for about a year and a half of like learning about emotional health yeah. and about my mental and emotional health. I think it's something that's not discussed or talked about. And I think what 2020 did is it revealed everybody's unhealth of whatever it is. Yeah. And so um, with the loss of a family member this year who was like a part of our everyday life and our kids experiencing grief yeah. um, and as a parent, I mean, if, if quite frankly, even for me, learning how to grieve and then watching our kids do that. And so the pro, I mean, grief is all about process. There is no end result. There, there's no resolution when it comes to grief. It's not like, well, one day I'll wake up and not be sad. That's just not true. And so learning about those things and, um, you know, Jesus being a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and learning about the emotional life of Jesus, I, I think this past year has been really incredible in the scriptures and seeing that and seeing anger, joy, all of that come out of him. I mean, even when we were in the Garden of Gethsemane a couple weeks ago and, you know, very controversial and people don't know what to do with it, but fear and anxiety. Uh, My soul is sorrowful even unto death and feeling these things and his body's physical response. So I've just been learning about all of that and all of those things come down to process. Yeah. Uh, the, the human body, the human mind, and emotions. You didn't get here overnight, and you're not going to get out of here overnight. And then correlating that with the fruits of the Spirit and how they grow. Uh, growth is a process. It's slow. It's painful. It's holistic. All of those things. And yeah. so just learning about that in the Christian life and in my own life of emotional health I think has been big when it comes to a process and just being in the process. It just is what it is, you know, so. That's really good. I think for me, um, we we went through some, some cohorts with a, uh, with a church assessment team. Um, I'm just going to say it anyways, gravity leadership, gravity leadership, leadership. you guys guys did a wonderful job with us Um, and you're still working with us. You're a pastor listening to this. You need to go to gravity. Sign up, sign your team up for gravity leadership. Um, We went through some cohorts with them uh, throughout the year. It was last year and this year. Um, And uh, a a lot of the process of of discipleship through them um, revolves heavily around group conversations uh, through these cohorts and walking us through their gravity leadership workbook and understanding what our kairos is. We talked about that word a while back. It just means being aware of what God is already doing in your life. And that was a huge, a huge tool that I believe God was was giving to me through through gravity this year was to be aware of what He's doing in my life, to be aware of my emotions, to be aware of what. Because as a Enneagram two, like I've said earlier, I'll just I'll give you whatever you want because I'm hoping that I'll get whatever I want in return, uh, whether I'm clear about it or not. And uh, uh, <laughs> sort of the outcome of that for me is that I rarely ever ever say what I want or feel I deserve what I want. Um, whether what I want is good or bad. And so the kairos um, has been the language of that and then just the process of being aware of what it is that is going on emotionally in my heart and in my mind um, and being able to vocalize that has been helpful, I think. I, I mean, I don't yeah. know if, you've, if you'd seen fruit from that or not. You're, you're the only person who could tell whether or not it would work <laughs> or at least the person <laughs> who'd be the most genuine about it. Um, I, to some degree, I'd imagine it was fruitful. As Yeah, I mean, I 
that one night, it was a long time ago now, I said I think there's been an awareness and a difference. I think you're a lot more self-aware of what you're doing and maybe why you're doing it. And it did translate to our family. So go to gravityleadership.com. Right. (laughs) Save your marriage. Go to gravityleadership.com. What about you, Kayla? What's some good or bad things that God has used this year to to help you in the process? Yeah, I think this year we kind of got the gift of some time, especially early on in the coronavirus. Mm. I mean, we had before coronavirus, almost every evening we had something going on church-wise or someone coming over. Um, And when things kind of shut down, definitely got the gift of time and having our evenings. And as a mother of young children, that's the only time that the children are sleeping and you can read uninterrupted. So personally, it's been a great year of getting to, I mean, read through the Bible in a year. and um, we're almost done. Yeah, Mm. almost done. Crazy. Uh, Just, I mean getting to dive into those aspects a lot more, I really, really enjoyed. And that was a fruit of something not so great happening in the world. But you had to turn off social media because it was easy to go on a rabbit trail there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, We're we're creeping up on like 45 minutes here. So I have our penultimate question. That means the the next to last. So um, God saw it fit to name the women in the history of Jesus's genealogy. Uh, they all they all seem to either be the source of pain or sufferers of pain, um, uh, just like everyone else in the list. We we have Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, um, Bathsheba, or quote the wife of Uriah, uh, with a minor chord being played behind that when it's read aloud. Um, so my question is, but these two questions are specifically for for you guys, Courtney, Kayla, for you ladies. How does it make you feel to see the scriptures honor these women in the midst of their sinfulness or their brokenness or their pain? Side note, men are pigs too, sinners. <laughs> men, every other man on this list has something that you could look up in the Old Testament. Except and see one. That. Except one. Yes. Except one. Yes. Except one. And then, um, but but when the, God saw it fit to use women in the history of Jesus' genealogy. How does that make you feel to see that in there? You want to go ahead? Or do you want me to? <laughs> go for it. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of who God is, that he's all inclusive, that he goes after the marginalized, the oppressed. Um, And that's the God that we serve. That's very encouraging. Uh, I also think when you look at those stories, I mean, no one's so far gone that God can't save you and God can't use you. God's not looking for perfection. And I think a lot of times we come into church thinking, I got to hide my past. I got to hide my story. You don't know who I am. But that's God's looking for any and everyone. Like he wants a heart that's willing. Um, And so I think there's, don't come and hide, come and come and be loved. Um, And that's what I see in that genealogy. That's good. We even talked about it um, last night, even that just it's hopeful. This like looking at the picture, the big picture that this, God had a plan. Absolutely. And it does just give you hope um, that in your messiness and in that, that you have a purpose. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even speaking to somebody now in that, like share those stories yeah. because they yeah. are encouraging. They yeah. are um, give people hope to move forward. Yeah, that's really good. Well, in light of the sermon and in light of, of the women being listed here, again, second question for you ladies. Mm-hmm. What would you say to the suffering woman, um, one who's been marginalized, one who's been abused, one who's been unvalued? 
in the midst of their pain, in the midst of knowing that God uses broken people. God doesn't use uh, the perfect whitewashed person who comes into the church on a Sunday morning hoping to look nice and perfect and have it all together. He uses them in the midst of their pain and their suffering. What would you say to the suffering woman who's been marginalized, abused, unvalued? First and foremost, I just want to say I'm sorry that whatever has happened or whatever you're going through currently or in your past, I'm sorry that that's happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but God sees. Um, and I want to invite you personally to join a community that don't suffer alone, get around community and um, be loved by a community. And I mean, Courtney, and I were talking about this earlier. If you haven't sought professional help, I greatly, greatly encourage go to counseling, get the professional help, yeah. but also get around a godly community of women that can love you and encourage you right where you're at. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kayla said it, he sees you in that. And so just know that you're not alone, even when it feels that way. And I think the community is a big part because when you are, um, down or, you know, in times of despair like that, your mind's going to do crazy things and you are going to believe the things that you have in your mind or the, the people are telling you or whatever that might look like. So the community thing is so important because you need other people speaking into that and um, just being there with you. Yeah, I think also that your that story doesn't define you or mm-hmm. what has happened to you does not define who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's proof by this genealogy that yeah. we just studied. Like there's nothing you can go back into the Old Testament and read those stories, but those stories aren't written here. It's just the name. Mm-hmm. So I think God offers a new start and a new hope and you don't have to be defined by what has happened to you. Yeah. That's really good. You're not marked by it. I yeah. Mean, that just still sketch. came for you. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, yeah. that yeah. just sketch. Yeah. It's a yeah. perfect illustration. <laughs> if you're, you need to, you need to start an illustrations business. Yes. That's a thing. <laughs> Top of the list. Etch a sketch. The etch a sketch. We'll work our ways in A's in a bit. Super great. Uh, well, well, this week was week two. And so this is Christmas, the big idea to restore his creation. And in Christmas season, Advent, the coming of Jesus. Um, we ourselves are waiting uh, yeah. in this Christmas season. We are waiting for the birth of Jesus to light that Christmas, that Christ wow. candle on Christmas Eve, which is going to be so awesome. Yeah. I can't wait for Christmas Eve. Jason, Pastor Jason, do you have any closing thoughts for us before we get into our last bit here? Yeah, no, man. I think hope is has been a chord that's been struck quite a bit, and yeah. I think these are real families and real names. Yeah. And so everybody yeah. that's listening to this is a part of a family and in a family. And the hope, um, I love Homer Simpson's theology. He's got the, some of the best theology. It's even more taught in seminaries. But in one episode, he's talking to Ned Flanders, and Homer says, yeah, 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 the Bible. Man, everybody in there was so messed up except for that one guy. And he's talking about Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's that's a proper view of the Scriptures. And in the end, in verse 16, um, all of this was, and he was the father of, and he was the father of, and he was the father of. And then it says the father of Joseph, but Joseph's the husband of Mary. Yeah. Joseph didn't father Jesus. Yeah. That's the break in the genealogy. Joseph, the husband of Mary, 
whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. And so I think it all leads to Jesus in that sense. No matter how broken your family is from divorce, addiction, self-righteousness, pride, whatever it is, Jesus can change that story and break that genealogy. And especially, you know, if there's any men that are listening, the father of, there are some horrible legacies that are left in here. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe for a separate podcast, every man has been left a legacy um, by the father of. And Jesus can rewrite that legacy. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, Amen. he really, really can. And so I just think there's a lot of good news, a lot of gospel in this. And so um, I think for the resources and tools, geneagram, self-awareness, yeah. Steve Cuss, managing leadership anxiety, I think you have to attack and address what it looks like to be a part of a family. Yeah. And yeah. so I just think you got to address those things. Yeah. So yeah. That's great. Well, thank you again for joining us for the rest of the sermon. Um, if you have any questions that you would like us to answer on this podcast, again, you can send those into info at westsidepb.org. Thank you for listening. And a final question, what's your most memorable Christmas present that you ever got, that, that you've ever gotten or given? Courtney knows already. She's yeah, smiling. Yeah, Courtney. <laughs> well, I need to preface, not most memorable, most... <laughs> impactful maybe accounts it's yeah just listen um one time i was given a vacuum and oh yeah <laughs> i mean i might cry by J- by Jason? talking about it no. no okay by a couple an older couple that was in our lives and um it was just like it was something that i wanted something that like they knew me well yeah and it meant more than just the vacuum and it's also something i use weekly and so it's just a good reminder yeah. That's cool. That's so it you. It meant a lot. I love yes. it. It really did. I love it. That's so you. Oh, man, mine would probably have to be, um, I got to, I had an experience, got to go to a prayer retreat out in the desert and experienced some cool things with a desert father. And anyway, long story short, is St. Anthony the Great. And at Christmas time, Courtney got me this really cool uh, mosaic. I almost and, said that. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good gift. Yeah, it was you. really good. And it hangs yes. in my office and yeah. it's just... I don't know. It's an icon. I'm sorry, not a mosaic. It's an icon. It's just really important to me. And so, yeah, it was a great gift I got. That's awesome. This is a gift that I gave. Uh, Tyler and I were dating. So this was over a decade ago now. And Tyler really loves his mom. Uh, (laughs) Shout out to his mom. Love it. And he kept saying, he was like, I just really miss my mom. I just really miss my mom. So I was like, you know what? She lived in Texas and we were in Colorado. It's like, I'm going to coordinate with his mom and see if there's any way we can fly her out. And I'll go pick her up from the airport and we will surprise Tyler on Christmas. Christmas morning um, with his mom right. what he kept wanting and so I coordinated with Darlene picked her up from the airport I mean we had the whole thing planned that and is great I, I left he, over the couch yeah he came wow. into my home, our home and there she was on the couch and he was very excited that's and, great yeah, yeah. So that's, probably, that's awesome that's the best surprise I've given that was a good surprise yeah that was a really good one um, I gave a gift to my brother uh, that was really meaningful to us um and we, we grew up playing a game together that we really liked, and I sent him tickets for his uh, birthday one year, that, or I'm sorry, for Christmas one year, uh, and went and saw him uh, February two years ago to see an orchestra that played music from that game. So yeah. I was like, it was like two hours of, I mean, it was crazy. It just brought back memories of us sitting on the floor in our parents' house when we were growing up. We were real little, and... It's, it would seem trivial if I started... <laughs> I'm just going to say it. Yep. It was music from The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> it, 
it was an orchestra it was an orchestra playing Zelda music and I'll never forget that um, it was a moment that we got to share together and that was really awesome so um, awesome well thank you guys again for listening to the rest of the sermon uh, as always if you want more information you can go to westsidepb.org and you can find out more about us there on there you can find Pastor Jason's sermon notes and sermons and a recording of the Sunday sermon there on our website you can catch these podcasts anywhere that you listen to podcasts and you can catch our live stream on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. on Facebook. As always, may everything that we say and do be all about Jesus. Blessings.